Hello. Thank you for joining LTC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. Today, you join me for another episode of a special podcast series on the winter wave of COVID-19. Throughout this series, we will talk with experts about the state of COVID-19, the vaccine, boosters, and treatments available, and the risks of the triple threat of infections this winter. Today, my guest is Lori Laxton, Principal Clinical Trainer with Inovalon. Lori is here today with me to talk about the many infections that are a threat to nursing homes this winter and how skilled nursing facilities can be proactive to protect staff and residents. Welcome, Lori. Thanks, Amy. Lori, let's dive right in. What are the infections you are hearing that are rampant this winter? Amy, you mentioned the triple threat, and the CDC actually has three websites that I monitor, and I provided them to APAC, and if you want to give them to our members, on the flu, which we see every year, of course, COVID-19, that's all we ever talk about lately, and then RSV, they were worried about this year. But I've done some research and looking into some of the articles that I tend to read, and there was a Health Alert Network health advisory on group A strep infections. And in talking to just a few people, including yourself, we we all seem to apparently know of people right now who are infected with strep. Well, yeah, it's rampant with children. It does affect children most of the time, but it puts our elderly at risk because our staff have children. Our staff go to pick up their kids from daycare and they're exposed and they're bringing all of this in, not to mention grandchildren coming to visit their grandparents in these nursing homes. So we do have to watch about that. But another thing I did is I did a spot search over the last couple of months of our Novalon customers who use our infection watch software. And I am seeing quite a high rate of pneumonia. And I did some more research and that also is actually quite rampant this year. There was a little bit of good news. As of yesterday, I was doing some research in the New York Times and Mass General. Both are saying that new COVID hospitalizations were falling. Uh, Average daily caseloads of COVID were falling. And they were hoping that we would settle into a typical respiratory season soon, but it's too early to tell. And that being said, that's in certain areas of the country. And so I think the main thing I would like our listeners to take away is monitor those government websites sites where you can see the community spread. There's the flu dashboards and the RSV and the COVID data trackers because, yeah, maybe an entire state, for example, Illinois might be tending down. But if you look at Chicago, Amy, you were just mentioning to me how there's like no hospital beds. So you definitely need to keep track of your area. And one more thing, not that I want to scare everybody about, but it made me stand up and listen, is we tend to get our data on our COVID vaccines and where we go and how we create the vaccines from data around the world. It starts over in Asia oftentimes, and then it works its way around, but we monitor, all the countries monitor. And there has been apparently quite a bit of radio silence over any kind of mutations of COVID recently over the past couple of months. And so some of the scientists are worried that we might get some new variants and they're going to be really bad because they don't have any data and then they'll have to get on top of it right away to create a new vaccine. So we'll we'll just keep watching the news. 
So, yeah, that's pretty much the triple threat, the pneumonia, the strep. And of course, we know why they're rampant in the winters because we're all inside. It's it's getting cold. So that's why when we code on the MDS, are you vaccinated for flu? And it's always October through March because that's when our seasons and it actually started early this year. They were reporting stuff in October. Some of these COVIDs and RSVs and stuff were ramping up and they were worried we were going to have a really bad, bad, bad winter. As I mentioned, it is tending to go down now that we're at the end of January, but we still have a few more months of cold weather. The reason why it's so high around the holidays is because people are out shopping and they're inside and then you have all the family gatherings around the holidays and then it just keeps ramping up because during these winter months, we're all cooped up inside and we can't get those germs and those windows open and get them outside. Excellent point, Lori. Thank you for that. You're right. You said something that really hit home and that's that whole community transmission because like you had mentioned, a state could see dwindling numbers in a number of things, and then a community could see something new. I think I've mentioned I currently have some kind of something that I picked up from daycare, and I think about our staff in the nursing homes and how many of them have children in daycare or children in school, and there's always something going around that you can easily pick up and then bring it into work. So again, watching that community transmission and what's going on in the community is so important. Mm-hmm. What are some proactive ways that SNFs can stay ahead of the wave of the respiratory infections we're hearing about this winter? Okay, so one of the ways is I have kind of already alluded to the close monitoring of your community spread, but then go a next step deeper and close monitoring of each individual infection. You need to take every infection that is reported in your building as a potential outbreak threat. So the way to prevent some of this and to nip it in the bud and prevent those outbreaks is every time you get an infection, really deep dive, look at it, pay attention to it, make sure that you have processes in place to be notified as the infection prevention is in your building that a new infection, a respiratory infection, something communicable was reported so that you can make sure that you've got the proper PPEs in place, that you're quarantining residents if need be, and reminding staff to be washing their hands and so forth. But also with regards to prevention, that to me starts at the front door. I remember in the heat of the pandemic when we were all stuck at home and everything, and we finally got to start going out and coming into the nursing homes. And even at the last APACN conference, there was a vendor there that has all of these really cool screening things that'll test, you know, your temperature and all that good stuff. Well, we need to screen those visitors as well. And that is everybody. What about those food service people, the FedEx people coming in? All of them are potential people who could be bringing in infections. Visitors, we do in-services for our staff members to remind them of hand hygiene, which we know is still reported as one of the highest cited things on survey. Remind visitors, be creative, maybe have constant reminders around the building, maybe cute posters which are rotated in different locations because people get blind to them after a while. They see the same sign perhaps posted in the bathroom saying you need to wash your hands before returning to work and they're, they're blind to them at this point. But put them around in different places. Make sure that the visitors are trained to wash their hands when they come in. Maybe even when you do your in-services 
how are you doing your in-services? Are you doing return demonstrations? Make it a pizza party to lighten the mood and get people to lighten up and encourage them to participate. Have a little donning and doffing competition and make sure who does it right. All kinds of ways that you can make it fun for your staff, but keep them engaged. Also, CMS is always watching for not only that hand hygiene, but what about all of those making sure that if you have any staff turnover in your maintenance staff as well, that's another area that you can be proactive, making sure that they are in service properly and that they are watching and cleaning all the handrails, the door handles, the elevator buttons, are residents being hugged by anybody, all of that stuff. Just stand back and look on your floor and just watch and kind of see all of these different areas. That's one way to be proactive. Amy, you and I have had a long discussion many times about vaccines and we do have government mandates in place. And our goal as staff members in these nursing homes is to protect our residents. So I would encourage staff within the nursing homes or or those visiting nursing homes to really thoroughly read all the resources that they have on the safety and efficacy of these new booster shots. The government has I know inundated us with radio and TV commercials, and I kind of fear that that may have had a negative impact on the public because everybody's becoming deaf to the ads, and then they're questioning who's behind these. But we need to get back to the root of it and why we want to get these vaccinations in place because we ultimately do want to protect our residents. There is a link that I could also provide you of. It's a really neat article that Yale Medicine did on the Omicron booster, and it answers all kinds of questions. It was really cool about explaining how this new vaccine works and how it's composed and how half of it's like two messenger RNAs and half of it targets the original strain and the other half targets all these subvariant lineages that we've had. So that, you know, education is the best thing. Let people make an informed decision of why they're getting vaccinated. And, you know, the last time I looked at the final rule appendix PP on the list of potentially preventable events is pneumonia and influenza. We have vaccines for both of those. And so those two, we definitely need to make sure that we're monitoring as well. You just provided so much great information for our listeners. I really appreciate that. I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about survey. Uh, And the reason I say it like that is because, you know, nobody wants to really talk about survey and all the survey citations, but we know that infection control is one of the number one top cited citations. Is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners today on surveys related to infections? Yeah. One of the things I noticed is in the final rule for 2023, CMS specifically stated that they narrowed the scope of requirements for a SNPs quality assurance and performance improvement program to the aspects of care most associated with COVID, and that is infection control and adverse events. So I just mentioned pneumonia and influenza are potentially preventable events, of course, falls and all those go in there as well. So they're going to be heavily scrutinizing infection control and hand hygiene and whether you have processes in place to make sure your staff know how to don and doff properly and how to respond to certain types of infections. But they're looking at the QAPI programs and making sure that you have adequate infection control QAPI programs as well. One of the things I noticed specific to FTAG 865 
which is related to whether a facility has and maintains a QAPI program, is they also have told the surveyors that they want them to make sure that the facility is obtaining feedback, collects data, monitors adverse events, and they've tied that into F868. And so if the surveyors do not feel that they have been provided enough information by the facility, they can indeed then go further and request QAA committee meeting minutes and things like that. They can really dive deep in the weeds. I remember when I took my APAC and QCP classes, there is a whole slew of good information that APAC and provided me to make sure that I knew how to do a good quality QAPI program. So I would really recommend that if you have anybody in your building who is responsible for this stuff, surveyors are out in full force going to be surveying your QAPI programs heavily this year. And so you might want to get somebody who's really trained properly in what a true QAPI program looks like. I read a lot of stuff in the final rule that's tied to QAPI. And they also instructed surveyors to watch for any increased antibiotic use. And F881 is the tag that's tied to antibiotic stewardship, which there's been a national initiative called the CARB program, C-A-R-B, like carbohydrates. So if you Google CARB antibiotic stewardship, you'll find documentation on what the national initiative is focused on and how they've been helping, including statistics on areas, and they show areas that they've made progress on. But a couple of things that came out of that initiative they've been doing for several years and they plan to do right now through 2025 is remember when they told us about the CDC's core elements of antibiotic stewardship a few years ago? All that came out of this whole CARB antibiotic stewardship initiative and the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, and we probably know it as the AHRQ. They have a really cool quality toolkit that I found to improve antibiotic use in long-term care. And I can give you guys the link to that, too. I thought it was really neat. Yeah, that is neat. I'm glad we can put that link on our website. And I just want to give a plug because you were talking about the infection prevention and QAPI and how it relates. And I have a podcast on F695 related to respiratory and trait care, uh, which has fallen into one of the top 20 cited F tags recently. Good. Yeah. Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining me today. This was great information and very helpful for our listeners. Oh, thank you so much. I'm always happy to talk with any of you guys, Amy. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse leaders, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC DON Chat Podcast.